0: Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the Podmedic, and we've got a lot going on tonight. It's going to be a pretty much weather-only episode, but that's because there's so much weather and weather effects to talk about tonight, and we'll get into that here presently. But of course, before we can do that, we have to bring on our co-host, Sam Bradley. Sam, how are things out in Colorado? Because things from the Midwest East have been chaotic, to say the least.
1: Well, we're still getting snow. Um, (laughs) It's a never-ending winter, but other than that, we're certainly not getting the worst of it like y'all. Jamie, you you had uh, some damage to your place. You had a tornado touchdown just a couple miles away, right?
0: Yeah, an EF1 touchdown about two miles from where I live. Um, We had a tornado warning, and then there was a confirmed touchdown which I, I, you know, really was impressed with the official National Weather Service report. Um, It actually, like, walked through the track of the storm and all the specific damage it did. It was quite an extensive, like, reporting on, like, tree damage and home damage and things like that. Um, We had some damage to our roof, some shingles blown off, and we had four trees taken down in the backyard, and it took out the back of our fence and some other things. So uh, we're in the process of trying to figure out what our homeowners insurance will pay for and what we've got to come up with. So um, but it wasn't confirmed a tornado where we are. So I guess it's straight line winds can do a lot of damage, too. So we'll ask our meteorologist friends about that as they get on here in a second.
1: Yes, we will. But I I guess that the pod ones uh, were, were out in another spot that didn't got a lot of damage. Right, Dan?
2: No, we here in Pennsylvania, or in State College, I should say, in the middle of the state, uh, we we sort of sometimes refer to this area as a weather desert. Um, We do get weather. Everyone gets weather. But the interesting stuff sort of passes us by, it seems like.
1: Well, that's no fun. I know Memphis got hit any number of times. Unfortunately, Dr. Joe couldn't be here because I'm sure he has some stories to tell. So, hi, Becky. She's here, too. Hello, hello. So... Oh, my God. This, You know, this is really a serious weather show because there's so much going on. I did a little fact-checking, and at least 15 states had tornadoes. There were something like 394 or 392 this year. That's a lot of tornadoes, and it's just the beginning of April. Two of them were EF4s, um, and it's still going, right, Jamie? You you said you had a, a warning
0: still, huh? Uh, we have a severe thunderstorm watch for tonight. Um, It's raining pretty hard right now. We'll see what happens. Um, I know this is really the the storms that hit, I think, Illinois and Arkansas yesterday or the day before are coming through the east mid-Atlantic area now. Um, And I think there's some other storms already setting up in the the mid-south, Texas, Louisiana, and down in that direction, up into the Midwest. So um, we'll find out more about that. I'm sure Dan can get, can fill us in on this, this continuous pattern it seems to have set up.
1: Well, go, Dan. That's your cue. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it has been a very active uh, last couple of weeks for severe weather across the uh, eastern third or eastern half of the, of the United States, and we are running above normal in terms of the number of Uh, severe weather and tornado reports, and well above uh, what we were last year. So it was a bit quieter last year than average. This year, we're above average. And um, what I'm seeing is that the current preliminary number of tornado reports in the um, first few, first three months of the year is 484, which is over the 252 average year to date. So we're certainly running ahead of that. And some of them have, have been, unfortunately, very Damaging. Several of them have been uh, strong and have occurred at night. We'll talk about that here in a bit, I think, about the specific dangers of tornadoes at night. Um, the good news is we're into a much quieter pattern here. Um, the stuff ending here this evening as we record this on Thursday, uh, moving off the coast in the in mid-Atlantic. And then it's going to just rain in the southeast over the weekend. There will be some flooding potential in the Houston area. Um, but next week looks much quieter. Quieter, not a lot of moisture coming up from the Gulf. You need that moisture as key ingredient for severe thunderstorms, and you sort of shut off that return flow of moisture next week. I think it's a pretty quiet week for a lot of the country, so that's certainly good news.
1: God knows they can use a break. I mean, the same areas just keep getting hit and hit and hit. Um, is it weird that tornadoes are hitting Delaware and Maryland and other places on the East Coast?
2: Well, it's certainly not something you see every day, and in fact, there's not a lot of tornadoes each year in uh, those areas, if you compare them to uh, parts of the South or the Great Plains of the Midwest. Uh, on average, in Maryland, for instance, there's an average of 10 reports of tornadoes in a year, uh, one report in Delaware and three in New Jersey. So um, you get you know a handful every year. Uh, we've had a bit more active pattern, it seems, recently in the last couple of years uh, in, in New Jersey, Delaware and Maryland has been a handful of days that have had some more significant tornadoes. Um, so it's it's certainly not common, that's for sure. So when it does happen, it, it's definitely noteworthy.
1: So what is the weather phenomena that caused all these back-to-back storms, the never-ending storm?
2: <laughs> well, I'm not sure there's necessarily one phenomenon that 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 caused the. I think the I think a couple things come to mind. One is we've had a really just active. Storm track across the southern part of the country, we've had really, as, as we have talked about in this show, it's been very active uh, w- winter in California, it's been a record-setting winter with the rain and the snow out there, which is good news for the drought. But as, as those storms move east across the country, um, they really bring up a lot of warm, moist air from the Gulf of Mexico, and that interacts with the different clashing of air masses and the different winds in the atmosphere, and that's added a pretty uh, potent setup to the uh, w- weather across the Midwest and the South so far, especially in March uh, it's been a very, it it was a very active March. Uh, the Gulf of Mexico water temperatures are still well above normal. Uh, so that's contributed, um, to, to these events as well. Um, I think those are the main, the main drivers of of this. And we do see this sometimes in uh, La Nina's, which is what we're, we're coming out of. We're moving out of a La Nina into a El El Nino probably by the end of the summer. And that's the, the, um, water temperatures in parts of the equatorial Pacific and they help drive a lot of larger, uh, weather patterns across the, uh, across the world. I don't know about you guys. This is scary stuff.
1: (laughs) I mean, you know, this isn't your everyday stuff and it's kind of scary to think what the future holds, but that goes back to being prepared, which we'll talk about later. But a question for Becky, um, being a disaster preparedness person, um, do you get a sense that disaster planning in, you know, even in your area or every, anywhere else, cities, counties, or states is is up for dealing with this kind of thing? Yeah, it's interesting you should ask Sam. It's it's a
3: little bit related to some of the work that I do with my job now in terms of resilience and you know resilience can be thrown around in the emergency management field is a bit of a buzzword at times but it's it's a really key concept and i will say that uh in the you know the state local emergency managers even up to the federal level people are very aware that these risks are being exacerbated by climate change um that you know wildfires are getting worse hurricanes are getting more intense the rainfall that we're seeing is is increasing you know you have major droughts that end in major floods everything is is trending you know just a bit more extreme and that it is something that that people who do disaster planning who are looking at at mitigation and you know hoping to make communities be ultimately much more resilient in the face of these changing threats they they are aware um So I think that is overall encouraging. um, But when it comes to severe weather, I think severe weather is just one of those things that's a whole different beast that, you know, in terms of like it's not it's not long term climate change or sea level rise or anything like that. You know, it's very instantaneous tornadoes that hit at night that it's if you're not aware of the threat in that moment that day, it may not make a difference. Um, And I think that's where there's still a bit more work to be done in terms of of getting people to understand how to have warnings on their phones at night and things like that.
1: Well, you know, you kind of wonder, because FEMA is the one that comes in and deals with all of it. (laughs) They they have a lot to deal with. If this keeps up, I don't know what's going to happen there. Jamie, you had a comment.
0: Yeah, well, I think Becky mentioned, you know, tornadoes at night, and if you're not aware of that. Risk coming your way before you go to sleep at night, you're less li- you're less likely to be aware when a severe weather warning comes your way, um, and that's something that I know the National Weather Service has, has been has mentioned in some of the news reports I've seen that um, you know tornadoes are more likely to cause fatalities at night. They're um, much more difficult to spot, of course, um, and then people are are more likely to be in vulnerable housing or you know, situations at night because they're home and if they aren't, if they're home, they might be in a mobile home, whether, whether otherwise they might be at work, which is a more standard structure. Um, And so there's a lot of risks associated with uh, nighttime tornadoes. And it's hard to, it's hard to be resilient in that situation because, you know, that that's, that's infrastructure that isn't easily changed. Would you agree, Becky?
3: Oh, 100%. Um I actually have a, a colleague who's been doing a lot of work um a lot of very specific research in how I want to get it right. So I'm trying to pull up if he has any any data But basically how the how where severe weather occurs has shifted. I think we've talked about this a little bit before. Tornado Alley is has has shifted from, you know, the central plains, the high plains to be much more um in sort of the mid tennessee valley area southern states things like that um and there's also a lot there's also been an increase in i don't know know the right phrases but like non-safe structures very cheap building infrastructure that does not hold up to um to high winds at all so when you have these tornadoes here we go um So, so yeah, high socioeconomic vulnerability. There's an increasing built environment exposure, which is what I'm getting at here. So you've had an increase in building of these these homes, you know, high density of manufactured housing that's now at at a significant overlap with high nocturnal tornado incidents. So it's just sort of all of these things coming together to make, uh, you know, just basically a recipe for disaster. I'm going to throw this tweet um, in the chat because it's really, really useful explaining what I'm trying to get out here.
1: Well, of course, when this happens, these are the people that may not have a place to go. They don't have the money to go to a hotel. Uh, you know, I mean, they're in a worst-case scenario. Dan, this is a question I was going to ask you about anyway, was the night tornadoes. I mean, how can people be aware if, you know, other than knowing that something's... I tell you what, if I if I was here and there might be a north, night tornado i wouldn't be going to sleep at all but
2: (laughs) yeah i mean there's a couple of different layers to it in my mind one it's being aware of what the forecast is for the day or for the night so you can have a general sense of what might be coming right to have that sort of just awareness about you um and then there's obviously the way to receive the information should a warning be issued for your location there's a variety of ways to to do that becky is passionate about this as well i mentioned a couple of these things obviously there's um, to me, one of the better ways to do it is is, is a um, an app on your mobile phone. You can some of them will wake you up with a, a um, audible noise if you set your phone in a certain setting that way. I'll plug the AccuWeather app. As a uh, team member of AccuWeather, I think uh, I can say confidently that we uh, I have numerous apps on my phone and I get the warnings through the AccuWeather app faster than any other weather app. Uh, so it's the fastest in terms of getting alerts out to people, which is the alerts from the National Weather Service that go directly to people. There's uh, NOAA Weather Radios, which are another way uh, to receive alerts that can wake you up with noises during the middle of the night. Uh, I think those are some of the things. um, And I think the weather community can continue to to do a good job in how we highlight these risk days or risk times if they are at night. One of the things we're doing at AccuWeather is we're trying to make it really visible to people when they're looking at their forecast. Let's say you open the AccuWeather app, you look at the forecast for today, the and there's no thunderstorms today, but there's a risk tonight. You may not go into the nighttime forecast because maybe you don't care about the night, but we're trying to highlight uh, that risk by saying, you know, like partly sunny today, risk for tornadoes at night, so that people have that awareness. So there's, I think, there's a variety of ways that we can do that. I guess I'll let Becky add anything she would like from a warning a reception standpoint.
3: Yeah, I would just say like you don't know what you don't know, and you can't expect people to go to bed you know anticipating an overnight tornado if they don't even know that the threat exists. So you it's very imperative to have ways to receive warnings. People need to know to have those alerts even turned on. Um so whether that means, you know, that they're tuning into their local, you know, broadcast meteorologist coverage the the nightly news and they're talking about the threat, um whether it's you know encouraging the downloading of of a weather app, whether it's billboards, I know Oklahoma um, obviously, it's no stranger to two tornadoes. Um, we'll utilize digital billboards on high high impact weather days to uh, advertise the need to pay attention to the weather that day. Um, so there's a number of different ways and outlets to to try and get people's attention, but ultimately people have to on in some level, unless it's obviously a billboard in your face, people have to seek out this information. They have to want to arm themselves with knowledge. Um, and it's, it's out there. It's very easy to find. It's as simple as downloading an app on a cell phone that everybody has. Um, so I just think the more that we can encourage people to, to be weather aware, to want to be knowledgeable about what is coming so that they're not caught off guard. Um, and I think another interesting story I'll share really quick. I don't know if you guys saw this. There was a video that was going around, um, of a woman filming the tornado, Uh, I forget where it was, but basically the tornado was coming directly at them. They're standing at at a glass door, and I believe she gets basically sucked out. They can't hold the door shut because the force of the tornado and the suction is is too strong. And it's just – Little Rock Dan says, thank you. Um, It's just so striking to me uh, of the need, uh, the human nature to confirm People, it doesn't matter what it is. If people hear something is is going on, they're going to want to see it for themselves before they take action. That is psychology. People want to see what's happening, and that's all well and good until you don't have time because the tornado is moving very, very quickly, which was the case here. So, I don't know how we change that, like the psychological nature of humans to want to see something, and then you know that's putting themselves in a dangerous position because they run out of time to, to get to shelter. Um, but it, I just found that really, really interesting from a psychological perspective.
1: Well, I agree. That sounds like a whole podcast in and of itself, right, Jamie?
0: It does. I'm, I'm actually looking at some of the, the, uh, links that, that Becky has shared and, and thinking we need to get, um, uh, Professor Strader on the uh, podcast too, talk about severe weather and, and, and some of the things he's, he's just studying because it's pretty fascinating stuff. Um, and, and, I think that you're right. It, it is human nature, Becky. I think that sometimes people are their own worst enemies in these situations, especially when they don't understand the, um, the, the, the real danger that they're in. They, you know, and that's an education leap that sometimes is hard to make with, with people.
1: Well, hook me up, Becky. I'd love to talk to him. That would be really awesome. And Dan, AccuWeather is my favorite one. What else do you use, Jamie, as far as
0: alerts and alarms? Oh, my AccuWeather app lit up with the, um, <laughs> the tornado warning when we were having that one going through. So, yeah, um, I, I can attest to the fact that it, it was the warning was timely and uh, was right on right on schedule. So. No Problems there on this this part. This isn't, they aren't a sponsor of ours, but uh, you know, they um, it doesn't mean that the app doesn't work well, so I'll just say leave it at that.
1: And of course, that's why they call it AccuWeather because it's very accurate. <laughs> Thank you, Dan.
0: Appreciate the
2: plug.
1: You and your team. Um, you know, there's other stuff like in Jamie's case, it might have just been straight line winds and not necessarily a, a tornado, but then with all the floods and I've been hearing about baseball size hail. How common is that, Dan?
2: Yeah, so I was, I was thinking about that before the episode here, sort of trying to put in context about how common, not just necessarily baseball size hail is, but these severe thunderstorms. And for from it, from it, I mean, baseball size hail is generally uncommon, um, especially anywhere east of the Mississippi River. Um, you don't really get it. I've never even seen hail bigger than quarter size in my life uh becky i know has seen bigger hail than that but i was thinking about sort of like how how common severe thunderstorms are generally and over the course of the year in the united states there's probably somewhere on the order of a hundred thousand thunderstorms and only about 10 percent or maybe less are severe thunderstorms and severe thunderstorms are wind gusts over 58 miles an hour i believe and then one inch hail and uh or or a tornado um and so it's a pretty small percent that are severe and only about 1% of the total thunderstorms could even produce a tornado. So there's a ton of thunderstorms. Most of them are just general thunderstorms that have lightning and, and, and heavy rain and maybe some gusty winds. And then there's the small subset that are severe and then even the, one, you know, the ones that are even sort of the high end of that that produce these uh, EF4 or EF5 tornadoes or baseball or grapefruit-sized hail. I mean... That's such a small percentage, but obviously it's very destructive when those things happen. Um, you know, for instance, hail causes billion, can cause billions of dollars in damage, um, and it's a huge insurance uh, cost. So there's there's really high impact, even though it's a small, really small percentage of the total number of thunderstorms that occur each year.
1: Well, I enjoy hearing that. Actually, I'm I'm sitting in the uh, the city of Becky's birth, um, <laughs> in Colorado. And uh, I know that there was a tornado here while you lived here, right? There was, May twenty second
3: 2008. I was a freshman at UNC in Greeley. (laughs) And I was not present for that tornado because I was storm chasing
1: in Kansas that day.
3: (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) We drove four hours the wrong direction. Oh,
1: my. So... That's we're talking about Windsor, Colorado, where I happen to be. Because I always have that in the back of my mind now. Whenever you, <laughs> you have storms, uh, you you posted some stuff about uh, something about a storm chase. What was that all about?
3: Oh, uh, so well, I don't know, we don't need to get into this. But there's been some some not great chasing happening lately with people getting far too close and putting themselves in very dangerous positions. And um, I posted back back in my day not to age myself uh <laughs> but back when i used to chase this was a decade ago um we didn't really have good radar on our phone you could pull up the national weather service radar on your mobile browser but it wasn't very good it wasn't really that up to date um so we had a nowcaster who we would be on the phone with or texting and they would know our approximate position and they would guide us around the storm um and I remember one time we were, I was chasing with a friend and we encountered four inch hail. Um, we came up on it right as it was, it was ending. And so we stopped to pick up the four inch hail and measure it and geek out over it. And as soon as our now caster friend learned that we had stopped, he lost it. He was like, oh my gosh, you guys have put yourself in a really dangerous position. Like the, the mezzo is is too close to you now. You could be at risk of, you know, being too close to the tornado and it was just it's just interesting how things have changed with the I think the advent of really good radar on phones. I think people think that they have the the knowledge to get much closer than is safe, um, or they don't interpret it correctly and end up in, in very dangerous positions. But that was more an example of, of some four inch hail.
1: <laughs> well, you know, Jamie can relate to this too, but an EMS, um, There's this thing, you know, when I was doing theater, we had a thing called the fourth wall, which was the imaginary wall between the audience and whoever was on stage. And, and, you know, they knew they weren't a part of that. But in EMS, you'll go out on a traffic collision and all these people will stand around you and you may clearly need help or whatever, but they act as though they're not there, that they're watching it on a TV screen. Um, so psychologically they're, they're separating themselves from what's really going on. I mean, in the cases you're talking about, Becky, it's, it's separating themselves from uh, real danger, right, Jamie?
0: Oh, and yeah. and, And the problem is that people will be spectators at an event like a car accident or something and be unaware that traffic is driving onto the shoulder where they're standing to try to get around the accident because people in traffic. Are, you know, where they're going is more important than the event that's going on where rescues are happening. So, you know, so we have we have additional danger of pedestrians getting in risk of being struck because they're paying attention to the rescue and not to traffic. And it's, it is exactly right. They are not aware. They're so intent on something that they're looking at that they're unaware of the actual real danger that that is right next to them.
1: Well, I hope the lady that got sucked out the window did okay. I don't know what the outcome was on that. but She was uh, fine, apparently. Just... Oh, that's good anyway. Yeah. You know, but there's other things, too. Like, we, we try to tell people it'll be 72 hours before anybody can get to you, if that. And I, I don't remember what state it was. I think it might have been Tennessee. But a whole firehouse was destroyed. No, what? it was in Missouri. A whole firehouse was destroyed. And there was a... Reporter, there, you know, showing there's turnouts laying all over the place, and you know they they went back there after a rescue, like their whole firehouse is gone. Um, so that's just one of the things that could slow down first responders, uh, besides injuries and other damage to themselves or just inability to get to you. So that's just a point to reinforce. Is you know, you, you got to be ready to take care of yourself. And I want to go back into that a little bit more in a bit. But um, Dan, w- what are we looking at this summer? Is there any projection about how hurricane season is going to go or heat issues?
2: I haven't looked at the heat much yet. Um, but from a hurricane standpoint, uh, our team just released their our our. Uh, hurricane forecast for the Atlantic basin this season. And we're expecting a a near normal to just below normal season in terms of number of named storms. Um, So I personally hope that pans out. It'd be nice to have a relatively quiet season. But the, the key with any hurricane season is even if it's quiet in terms of number of storms, it only takes one in the wrong spot to be a really bad thing, um, you know as we saw in nineteen ninety two with Andrew, which was the first storm of the year, obviously one of the most destructive hurricanes on record in south Florida um, you know there, there there's many years where there weren't that many storms, but the one one or two that did impact land were really terrible so um, the current forecast is for a lower than normal season or near normal season, but obviously still need to be prepared and have a hurricane plan in places is a great time to be thinking about that if you live in a hurricane or tropical storm prone area to know where you would go and um, have a hurricane kit and things like that.
1: Yeah, and I wanna expand on that. But another thing too, and I was again watching another news show, but I I can't remember what state it was because there's so many, but all of these volunteers started showing up. And the problem is, again, There's too many people. There's not anybody who can process them and find out who they are, what they do, where they would best fit into the disaster scenario. So we've said this before and we'll say it again. Don't self-deploy. You know, if you're local, then, yeah, you're going to want to help. But there's got to be some kind of place set up where you can go register and tell them who you are and what you do and they can put you in the best position. So don't just go out there. Um, cause you like, you, you, if you end up getting hurt, then the firefighters got to deal with you too. So just a point on that, Jamie thoughts.
0: Well, this has been a common mantra here of the show about no, no self-deployment to any disaster situation. And you're right. If, if it's, if it's your neighborhood that is struck with a disaster and you're in a position to help people in an, in the immediate aftermath, do what you're comfortable doing in a safe manner. To help people, that's one thing. That's not self-deploying. That's helping your your immediate neighbors, people you know in your community. Um, we're talking about people coming from, you know, counties away, states away, to to lend help when the state and county and municipal resources are still coordinating a an actual response with trained rescuers. And they just don't need the extra bodies in the way, clogging the roads, um, getting injured and needing help themselves. Uh, All those things really do more to get in the way than help.
1: Right. And and lastly, getting back to what Dan was saying, again, this could be another podcast, but, you know, have a go kit, as we call it. Um, Have it in your car. Go through it every once in a while to make sure that whatever food or water you have is fresh. Um what else do you have in yours, Dan?
2: Well, we don't have a hurricane kit here at State College, but um, <laughs> I, I, I I hope not, but you never kit. know. Um yeah, I mean I think um uh honestly, I think Becky's better to speak to this, but I, I can give it a shot here. Um, you know, you know different types of non perishable food, obviously water, first aid kit, uh blanket, flashlight. Becky other items you think are important Diverse. medicine um, I think there's also the
3: importance of um, like di- digitize paperwork that's important you know birth certificates marriage certificates any uh, anything that you have in a, in a file that you don't want to get lost either digitize it or put it in a safe place um, that just makes recovery that much easier when you have those those important documents. Um, and obviously now that we have a kid, we have to take that into account. So all of, all of her needs, whether that's, you know, formula or food for her or, um, you know, clothing for everybody for several days, um, uh, making sure that you have very good, uh, sturdy shoes. You don't want to be walking through, you know, hazardous floodwaters and flip-flops. That's not safe.
1: Um, think what else? If we have pets, that's another thing. Pets, yep. Got to have a plan for the pets. Meds, eyeglasses, um, extra sets of those in case you run out of the house without them. Jamie, what would you add to that?
0: Well, I think, you know, the important thing is, you know, as, as Dan said, they don't have a hurricane go kit in State College, Pennsylvania, because that's just not a hazard they need to worry about. But in the wintertime, they're much better prepared for, for snow events and things like that, um, where they might be needing cold weather gear um, in the car or, or in their, when they're out traveling or whatnot. And I think that, you know, depending on where you are will impact the type of preparedness kit you have for your home, your car, or whatever. Um, and so... It is, it is incumbent upon you, and especially you, the rescuers, for you and your family to have preparedness kits ready based upon what your knowledge is of, of what to expect and in your community and, and what are the number, number one hazards you, you're likely to see, whether it's you know tor- tornado or severe thunderstorms or the occasional hurricane or whatever the case may be. Are you ready for those things?
1: Exactly, um, yeah. It's it and it's seasonal. Mine changes seasonally, obviously. I don't carry blankets around in the summer so much, but certainly in the winter, shovels and that kind of thing. So, Jamie, I don't know. We we covered a lot, and there's a lot of unknowns. But thank God for the DePod ones who can keep us up to speed to no, the extent I, that they. You
0: know. It's great to have some some amazing resources, and we really appreciate um, Dan and Becky. You guys, we appreciate you so much, especially because you're you're parents of a young child and so you're not always available or make it easy to be for you to be available when we always need you. But you made you made the effort to be here tonight and we really appreciate that.
2: Amen. Absolutely. We're always happy to do it what our schedule permits. <laughs> and we we understand that
0: these days. We understand <laughs> yeah. how that schedule can change. We certainly do. when we're a 9 p.m. That's not always the case. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah.
1: Oh. She doesn't get any sleep anyway, and here we are keeping her up late. But
0: It's it's a real thing. Um, anyway, no, well, I'd like we to-
1: pre- do, do appreciate it and, and look forward to we'll probably have a lot more of these. <laughs>
0: Yes, for sure. And um, we definitely need to get your your friend on, and and that would be a great podcast episode to do as well. Um, Sam, you know, I do want to thank Dr. Joe and the team at Paragon Medical Education Group for their continued sponsorship of the show. Um, We talk about them all the time, but, you know, if you want some really top-notch training to help you prepare for what you expect in your community, for your responders, for people in your jurisdiction, uh, people at all levels definitely reach out to Paragon Medical Education Group. You can find them at paragonmedicalgroup.com. You can find links to them on disasterpodcast.com, in our Facebook group, and on the podcast as well in the show notes. So definitely track them down and find out what they can do for you. I think you're going to be very, very happy when you reach out to them and and get in contact with them. So definitely do that. Um, Becky, where is a good spot people can track down what you're up to at any given time?
3: Uh I'd say mostly LinkedIn at this point. Um okay. you can find me at Becky DePodwin, comma M S E M, and I guess a little bit of Twitter. Um, although I who knows what's happening with Twitter at this point, um at WXBex and of course the disaster podcast Facebook group.
0: Excellent. Dan, how about you?
2: I'm still on Twitter these days here and there uh at WX Depot D E P O, also uh LinkedIn as well as the Disaster Podcast Facebook group.
0: Fantastic. Sam?
1: Well, all those places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, especially the Disaster Podcast Facebook group, wonderful group of people there. How about you, Jamie?
0: people can find me under the handle Pod Medic in most social media locations so definitely check me out there and don't forget to subscribe to the show there's links to do that on every podcast episode over at disasterpodcast.com whatever your favorite mobile device is or mobile podcasting app there is a quick and easy way to click through and subscribe right there below the audio player on every page so definitely follow through and do that And um, I'm glad we covered this episode because there's been so much going on. It definitely called out for us to shine some attention on it.
1: Absolutely. And if there's anything that can be said about this show, and we've said it before,
0: be prepared.